Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Jodie Harbert to the Focus on Why podcast. Thank you for having me, Amy. It's great to be here. Wow, I'm so excited. So because Jodie is all about cooking up dialogue. That's right, Amy. I mean, cooking up dialogue uh, is exactly um, what I'm working on. It's actually the name of one of my projects. And there are quite a few I'm working on. I could tell you, uh, I'll go into straight away telling you about cooking up dialogue. That started, that emerged from a group of us to, came together um, under an organization called ACT Academy uh, here in Istanbul. And we developed a project that is uh, bringing together people who are polarized from each other for whatever reason. So it might be through ethnic diversity or through having just different viewpoints in life. We bring them together over food. Uh, food that they produce, and they talk about the food, the stories, and uh, we use curated questions uh, and circle dialogue uh, methods to basically bridge any gaps and create an environment of collaboration rather than the kind of competition and, uh, let's say, dissonance that is uh, often seen in in small communities with the diverse population. So this is a, a one of the projects I'm working on. I also host Circle in different environments at the minute, (laughs) seeing as we're uh, mostly around the world in various stages of lockdown. I host uh, the Circle through uh, online. Uh, That's working quite well. Uh, In fact, it's extremely effective. I'm really quite enjoying it because it means we can host Circle with people from all around the world. And that's amazing. I'm actually, my background is in in, uh, spatial design. Uh, so I'm also working on ecological design work. I'm working helping design a city expansion project, which is is quite huge. So I'm working on that uh, together with my partner. It's actually his work, but I, I have my interest in design and uh, urban planning. So that overlaps. And we have all kinds of projects. Uh, that's just some of them. I'll, I host um, zero waste uh, workshops and uh, which now have merged into also being uh, circle meetings. So I could tell you a little bit about that, I think, um, at this stage. Uh, The zero waste workshops started off being quite a sort of pragmatic approach to uh, introducing uh, more sustainable, uh, ecologically sensible approaches in various environments. So it could be in a corporate environment. There's a couple of B Corps in uh, Istanbul, and I, I did a workshop with one of them and uh, also with schools, education facilities, and with individuals, and just, just anybody basically who will have me, who will, who will uh, listen. Uh, and it started off, you know, the way I approached it was pretty much sharing pragmatic, simple information that would help people introduce zero waste practices. So that means um, you know, in, in case you're not sure, uh, less of the recycling, because I think we're all aware that that is, has been a bit of a We've been living a lie when it comes to the recycling, I think, in the UK. I hope you've got your heads around that. I'm not sure you have. It's actually really, yeah, it's really disappointing, the statistics of we, we all think we're diligently recycling and it's just going nowhere. Yeah. It's really disappointing. I think that's something that uh, when I go back to the UK and I, I notice that there's a... 
there's a really big problem with that. Um, and one of the things that happens is, is that people get into this false sense of security that they are doing the right thing. And then the next thing that happens after that is that we become self-righteous because we think we're doing the right thing. And then we can walk around to other places that have, let's say, less um, developed recycling systems. And we, we could say, oh, you know, they're terrible. But it turns out that all the recycling that we've been so-called doing in the UK has been sent to places which have less benefit, you know, uh, efficient recycling systems like Turkey, where I am now. I mean, right now, apparently, we're receiving the recycling that isn't being recycled in, uh, from the UK and other countries. And it's, it's not, it's going to landfill, it's not working. Um, so one of my, my major parts of my work is to get people to understand that and to start to see the story behind the products that they're buying. Um, so the process that I, that I had started some time back now is to introduce people to, to this, to deepening their understanding and to making sensible choices. But during that journey, I came across a sort of a, a resistance and I, and I wondered whether it would be better to introduce the subject in a, as a dialogue rather than a monologue. So I introduced my circle uh, methods to the zero waste uh, meetings. And what transpired was that the people who were, you know, of varying uh, different backgrounds and, and, and sort of at different parts of the journey of understanding uh, sustainability, let's say, uh, many of them were in a very deep state of either grief about the state of the planet and thinking that doing anything was pointless. Um, also, some were feeling angry, saying, you know, the corporations should be in charge of making this kind of decisions. It shouldn't be up to us. Not, it's not up to the consumers. And then the third thing that, that I came across um, is the sense of addiction to the products that we are consuming and that are, you know, hinder us from from uh, joining the zero waste journey, let's say. Um, and this this level of addiction is actually it's much higher than than we realise. I think we when we use the word addict, we tend to think of sort of substance abuse or something like this. But in actual fact, everybody on the planet basically is addicted to the lifestyle which we have been brainwashed into thinking is something we should aspire to which is this consumer lifestyle and it's this you know accumulation of things um it's actually it's actually it's a hoarding instinct to own lots of stuff and to have certain things that are sort of you know presented to us through the most incredibly powerful incredibly powerful manipulation of of the marketing world um i come my parents are both in advertising so i, I do <laughs> i know what i'm talking about a little bit yeah and they, they basically uh, to sell products they play with our minds and you'll find coca-cola bottles up the amazon and you'll find them up the, in, the, in the mountains in the himalayas you'll find them everywhere and uh, you know i've hit on one brand name there i hope hope that's not a problem but it could be anything any any uh, any brand and um, i think it's time that we we really stopped uh, to think, um, but to be able to do that, it turns out, it transpires, that we, on the whole, uh, in the Western world, we need to, especially, especially in the Western world, we need to go through a kind of process of, of meeting ourselves, of understanding why we are trying to find these shortcuts to, to our lives and why we are trying to pleasure ourselves with these kind of simple things that, um, you know, are actually so detrimental to the planet.
So it, my journey came from this to at this point now uh, to being one more uh, intensely involved in in trying to just prompt awareness in in people. So I'm, I'm hearing several strands here, and I just want to pick up on something before we we sort of go deeper. What is circle practice? Okay, thank you. That's a, that's yeah. It's great to to delve into that. There are lots of um, different ways of looking at the circle uh, practice. First of all, we can think of it as being um, the most ancient sort of way that we would gather. Um, so therefore, it's really built into all of our uh, DNA. We respond to it uh, very positively. So historically, it, it has that. But if you look at it uh, traditionally, uh, and but also if you look at it in modern times, it's it's the way people gather in, in boardrooms and in council. But the difference between the, the a normal meeting and or a talk between people and the circle is that in circle, there's no hierarchy. Everybody sits and takes it in turns to speak. We often use a, a, a talking piece, which is passed from hand to hand. And it really invites, the circle practice in, in short, really invites people to speak from the heart. Uh, and to be able to speak from the heart, you have to actually start to listen to your heart, which is something that we haven't really been doing. We've been, we've really been just thinking from the brain, keeping everything from the brain downwards out of the, out of the scenario. So you speak from the heart and you also listen deeply. And when you listen deeply, you start to see the heart of the people around the circle with you and you hear their voices and you start to hear different viewpoints. And it gives you a very much wider viewpoint on the world. So circle is actually, I think, one of the most important tools for humanity moving forward. Um, it doesn't matter at what scale, uh, but the, the general intention, which is to be inclusive, diverse, and speaking with intention from the heart and invoking gratitude for what we have and a sense of bond and coherence between us that will allow us to embrace this diversity and move forward with unity. So that's basically how I would describe uh, the process of circle. You've just reminded me of when I was a little girl sitting in the classroom and we used to have circle time. I just remember that. And we would share the stories that we had had the weekend before. And actually, how it was so lovely because it gave you the opportunity to, to share what, what was important to you. And I, I guess, where does that get lost? Absolutely. One of the things, one of the, the, the most important tools, which I didn't mention just now in circle, which is uh, also what we use in the cooking up dialogue uh, sessions, is the curated questions. So um, if we listen to ourselves in, in normal uh, day talk, we will often find ourselves asking a question, thinking we already know the answer. We almost provoke the answer in the answer, asking of the question. Um, you might find if you if you study maybe nonviolent communication or other methods of communication um, that we do this in our relationships and it's one of the things that actually destroys it can destroy a relationship. So what it uh, what we do with curated questions is we purpose, purposefully pose a question which is very open ended and it allows the person to reach into themselves and to think about it. And uh, in circle as well, one of the things is you. you you don't have to answer the questions. You can sit there in silence and just listen if you want to as well, because sometimes that's what you need to do. There are many ways of, of describing the experience. Um, some people will uh, go to, as far to say that the, the 
presence of our ancestors can be uh, felt in these kinds of gatherings because we're using this traditional method. And we are gathering in a way which is allowing our hearts to really open and to connect and the conscious space expands outwards. And at this point, we are capable of uh, reaching into the collective wisdom. Um, unfortunately, the story of separation that it's called, the, separate, the idea that we are separate from each other starts with the idea that we are separate from our own souls and that we're our own hearts and we're separate from nature, not just the nature outside of us, but our own nature that's inside of us. And uh, in circle, these kind of dialogues, um, it's, it's uh, quite an important way to bring people back into having the, the sense of presence of themselves. And um, so the questions are very much directed to, to prompt that from people and to hold the space wide open for whatever emerges, basically. So you mentioned that you started to use this practice for zero waste. What outcomes have arisen from that? Well, I think um, what came out most directly was the need to concentrate on various fractals that emerged. As I mentioned, there was the sense of grief and despair. There's also the reality of the addiction, um, which has culminated from the sort of traumatic experience of being a human on the planet these days. Uh, we grow up and from a very early age, we are taught the story of separation and every cell in our body is saying, no, hang on, hang on. I'm connected. I'm connected, not just to the, to myself or my mum or, you know, my family, I'm connected to the trees. I'm connected to the universe. I'm connected to everything. And our cells know that, but we, are told no we have to survive we are this is this is the you know it's the survival of the fittest and we have to achieve and we have to climb to the top of the ladder and it doesn't matter who we stand on to get there and this is the kind of uh, you know you're you're taught you're supposed to manage by yourself and if you can't be independent then you're a failure and this is just repeated to us time and time again so um these kind of traumatic experiences which are actually everyday life are the things that I'm trying to address now through various uh, different means, you know, uh, directing people towards looking inwards at what their own personal journey has been and how they can move ahead to be a more healthy person as an individual and therefore a healthy part of, of society. So essentially it's a collective consciousness. Yes, it is. I mean, uh, you know, in practical terms, what, I, what I'm doing is, uh, you know, obviously after the lockdown has uh, ended, we'll be holding uh, in-person uh, meetings. I'm working on a series of, and hear it now, uh, videos to use on YouTube to make this more accessible to people around the world. The message I'm trying to share is very much this, you know, I could just prompt a little bit of more questioning in an ind individual they can go away and ask their own questions and they can find their own their own journey. The question that I ask at my zero waste meetings is to say, look, if we're talking about zero waste, we could be talking about a product. So let's say we're talking about um, a plastic water bottle, you know, or a bar of chocolate. You know, you can look at the uh, packaging and say, OK, it's wrapped in paper for the chocolate. That's not too bad. But then you have to ask deeper questions as you're ready and as you become more empowered to do so let's say as you 
work through your own personal traumas. You realize that you're connected to the planet and that you can, you, you know, you can access these, this sort of the deeper wisdom of, of connection. Uh, you can look at this product and say, well, hang on a minute. Is this cocoa ethically farmed? You know, where did this product come from? And at the end of the day, where does the, the packaging go? The same with the water bottle. The reason I like the zero waste journey as a kind of metaphor for um, not just as practically important, but also as a metaphor for, for personal growth is that you can take it and you, say, you can say, okay, this is my first step. I'm going to give up buying plastic packaged things. This is something I'm going to do. This is, this is my self-improvement step. It's not the same as doing yoga. It's not the same as reading 15 self-development books, but it is very important. And as you, But what happens as you do it is you do actually have a kind of psychological yoga session going on because you are connecting with the planet by taking responsibility for a tiny part of it, saying, I do not want this product in my life anymore because of the ethics of it. I know that it's, it, it's bad. It's, you know, people, maybe slave laborers are working on this. It's been mined and it's been just used up in a couple of seconds, mined or harvest, harvested. Uh, it's created deforestation or whatever the story of whatever the product is. And at the end of the day, it then goes into the waste, which is permanently creating a toxic effect upon our planet. And let me not fool myself about this. Let me look in the mirror and say, who am I in this journey? I am complicit. And at this stage, when you've made a choice, you start to see that you are a part of the problem. And then you can see that even though it's a minuscule thing, you can actively decide to become a part of the solution. So, yeah, I think that kind of summarizes where I am with the the, the zero waste journey. It's uh, it's um, I, I have to approach it very differently with different groups of people, depending on where they are on the journey and their level of consciousness, let's say, or um, expansive degree of consciousness. I prefer to call it rather than level. I don't like hierarchy in any any arena. Um, so yeah, I think if you if you start on the journey, it actually improves your quality of life. Of course, you're consuming better things. You're helping yourself relieve yourself from the addictions of certain. I mean, most of the stuff that comes wrapped in packaged, packaged uh, foods and stuff are, contain ingredients that are highly addictive. So you're helping yourself, your health, your well-being, your mental state, but you're also contributing to the well-being of the planet. And so this is almost like a win-win-win situation. Um, and then when you do it, you also send out the vibration and the vibes and inevitably other people start to say, so, so why are you carrying around that funny basket and putting your vegetables in that? Why are you refusing to buy those, whatever it was, chocolate bars and candies or whatever it is people buy? Why are you refusing to buy soft drinks? And why don't you buy a drink in a disposable um, cup anymore? Why do you always carry your own? And, and uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a story. Uh, and I, that's another thing I'm very interested in. I write in my blog, uh, so a multitude of ones, it's called. Um, I, I write stories sometimes, and I think it's very important to tell the story, to know the story of, of where we are, what's happened, and then to tell a, a new story, to, to invoke a, a narrative which is prompting us to believe in ourselves because we've just been told all along that we have to succeed. And there's not many of us who do, who do in this, this highly competitive world. And... I mean, I'd like to ask a question, you know, 
when you achieve this goal of i don't know what it could be like a huge you know we, we both come through the property property end of of things uh, it was um my previous job i think i mentioned that i was a spatial designer so i was i was helping people have own their second homes and in, improve their their property uh, portfolio therefore and i'm sure visiting that house visiting the house on the mediterranean is all, is definitely going to be good for you sticking your feet in the mediterranean sea and swimming with the fishes is, is one of my biggest passions i, I must admit but all of the uh, paraphernalia that comes with wealth and success there's so many stories and there's so much proof that it doesn't necessarily bring happiness and so that's the question you know what what does it mean to be happy what does well-being mean and how much real real depth to your life is a huge portfolio of property or you know cash in the bank going to actually bring you plus and more importantly um how much good is it going to be for you when we're put in a position like we are right now you know we've been hit side on by this tidal wave of the of the virus the coronavirus and although many people wiser people than me would say well we knew that was coming because it's been obvious but i must admit i had a conversation with my daughter my eldest daughter who studies um, normally um, in the netherlands before she went back to the netherlands the last couple of times in the summer and, and winter break we had a conversation about what should be our b plan if things go wrong if the communications go down because you know what this world is heading towards some form of disaster or another we have we have rapid uh problems approaching through climate breakdown and through the migration uh, situation which is emerging through that this is something we face um very clearly here in in turkey we have i think 4 or 5 million syrian uh, immigrants refugees who've come uh, from our neighboring through you know we we border with syria and i think back home in the uk it's very easy to for people to not be aware of the implications of things like our consumer lifestyle and our government's decisions on how they're going to behave in the middle east and things like that you know so these kind of decisions are far away and it's even more so for the united states uh, friends i have there are very far removed physically from the impact of what is happening in the world and here i find myself to be in in the position of, of sort of stepping between two worlds and and sensing that things are progressively deteriorating and that systems collapse is something that we could be looking at we could actually be seeing hitting us straight in the face very soon so i had this conversation with ella in the in the summer and the winter we repeated it and she said to me mum if i didn't know you so well i would think you're completely insane what are you talking about and it was just a few months later we were rushing to get her on one of the well the, they laid on a couple of extra flights to get students out of uh, the netherlands and back home to to so she could be with her family during this this period and it was like uh oh it's actually transpiring what is this weird stuff that's happening and the weird stuff that is happening is basically consequence of our actions one way or another and we can expect more of it so um i suppose you could say the biggest um thing that i'm working towards is to help people build um community resilience and in every single way that 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 happens so i think i've talked in my usual kaleidoscope way so i'm going <laughs> to 
be quiet for a minute and let you let you ask me a question that will focus me in on it because I've, I've done I've done the kaleidoscope thing haven't I like too That's many fine. things at once no it's absolutely Sorry fine and and I think the the sheer amount of questions that you were posing there that people should be considering were were fair and I think that you know uh, what does the future ask of us it's um or, or what do we ask of the future I think is probably the 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 more pertinent question in terms of what can we do to help the environment that we live in how can we bring nature back into our lives yeah I think uh, everything that I've just said we can just simplify into saying you know at what part of the journey are we as individuals and how can we combine our journeys into being a wider collective community-based journey because at the minute I think we've discovered um, very clearly that in these times of difficulty it's only when we work together and we collaborate that we can get through it I know there's so many incredible examples of people who are who are going beyond to to look out for their neighbours, whether it be some, maybe it's one one to one things, or maybe it's huge community projects that are emerging. Um, there's also obviously the the people who are working um, hard to keep keep things together and looking out for our health and our well-being uh, worldwide. But then I'd also like to point on something which is really really important. And I think, uh, especially for the listeners um, in Europe, in, in, I know you've got listeners from all around the world now, So, but I think we, we have to look very carefully at, at our position of privilege. Um, and I know that my go-to solution to everything is bef- if you want to know where you're going in the future, it's, it's connect with nature. And for me, that's so easy to say because I was brought up connected to nature. So that is my my privilege. I have that. And I am very aware um, that I live now in a house with a garden and I can grow my own vegetables. And I'm a bit distracted right now because I'm thinking about my seedlings and uh, <laughs> I don't know if I planted them deep enough and things like that. So, you know, my uh, this is this is an incredibly wonderful privilege. And so this is this makes life simple to be able to connect with nature at, at some point. But if you're living in a city, that's not there. You don't have the connection. You don't have access to urban gardens. And that's very much something I'd like I'm working to be involved in is to help um, ensure better access to nature for everybody. Uh, But then in the West um, or whichever northern hemisphere or whichever way you want to describe the privileged uh, developed nations, we really do have quite a, a luxurious lifestyle um, compared to so many and it's not just in, in terms of what we can afford to, to eat it's also to do with our access to information and our access to to knowledge but it puts us in a position of being very removed from what's going on around the rest of the world so I think to have a holistic viewpoint that something that goes down in a remote corner the other side of the planet can have devastating effects on you tomorrow also your behavior where you are um, isn't necessarily your right just to do it because you can and do it because it's been imposed upon you as being a, an idea by some marketing company that's trying to sell some product or some lifestyle. You have to, you know, give yourself a chance to connect with your own instinct and to sense into what actually feels right, what matters to me, you know. And before you can feel what matters to you, you've got to just really feel yourself to get into a position of knowing 
what makes sense on not so much as a sense making in terms of, yes, let's read about this and, and put it into some kind of academic category. What do my instincts tell me? You know, when I think about this, where do I feel it in my body? Does it, you know, does my gut resonate with this or is it churning? You know, and these are questions that we're not taught to ask ourselves. So the simple aspect, you know, the simplicity of what I'm saying is really just just give yourself a break from the grind of whatever daily life is. And this virus, for all the terrible things that it is, has made us pause. It's made us sort of slam to a halt in some cases. And it's put our entire lives in uh, jeopardy. And it's taught us what it means to not feel secure, like most of the rest of the world does every single day of the week. And that's what I'm talking about, privilege. People who are not able-bodied in our own countries or people who are uh, you know, financially in, in a difficult situation, and they haven't got that independence. They haven't managed to get up that ladder of, I put that in quote marks, obviously, <laughs> you, can't, you can't hear that. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, if you haven't managed to achieve the success in the so-called um, Western mindset, uh, that means you're not resilient as an individual. But then even if you do have all that wealth, what happens when you can't find vegetables in the supermarket? What happens when it's not there? What happens when your entire supply chain is tied up and, it's, it, and something breaks it? So um, I'm posing a lot of questions today because I think that's exactly where we are as, as a species. We're sitting here thinking, oh, now what? You know, what was that? What are we going to do about it? And what next? And I'm not going to pretend I have the answers to those questions. But what I do strongly believe is that whatever is next is going to collectively emerge from a whole lot of people who start to care a whole lot, who start to think and feel, really embody what it means to be a human on the planet right now. We have to ask ourselves, you know, yeah, what does the future ask from us? And let's make that a little less abstract. If we have children or nieces or nephews, or, you know, if you imagine to the future, uh, maybe two generations, are those children going to actually even be able to be born? You know, is our species in that much of a sort of peril? And if they do, are, you know, manage to be born into this, this world, um, we will by then be well and truly merged with the earth and the earthworms. Um, and uh, we need to think about what kind of legacy we've, we've left behind to those children. Will they be able to thrive on the planet that we are presently treating so mercilessly right now? And if you're one of these people like I am who says, well, hang on a minute, or like I've, you know, I have 100, I don't know, whatever it is, dollars, pounds, lira a week to spend on my, on my groceries, and that's as much punch as I've got, whatever it is, you know. Uh, it's it's not fair to expect me to be responsible for the future generations. I agree. It's tough. It's really tough. Right now, we are um, a huge majority of the people, and the population that has the, the wealth and the power um, are a huge minority <laughs> in terms of numbers. But in terms of clout, uh, it's very lopsided. So I think it's up to us just to start to collectively envisage. And when I say collectively, that doesn't mean to say it you know, the same. We don't have to have the same ambition and dream for the future. We just need to start to think what matters for us. You know, what can I do for me that makes sense? And how can that resonate with other people? Maybe I can look out for somebody. Maybe we can create a club or, you know, 
just and, and how is this going to make me feel good as well? Not don't just do it because somebody like me or you've read it in a book or somebody like me is saying, oh, this is a good idea. This is what we should be doing. You know, does it really make sense to you inside? And does your heart beat faster because you know that it's what you need to be doing? There's so much there. I, you know, I've I've been thinking and just listening to what you've been saying and just really thinking. And one of the things is about the the what age are we going to be moving into and I think that we've described history in sort of prehistoric the stone age the 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 middle ages the dark ages the the industrial age and we're currently in the information age and and I think maybe it is time for us to move into as you say a more compassionate age you know something that is connecting us back with our environment because we have become very separated you've mentioned separation a lot and and the connection, maybe we're, we're going to be the connected age. I don't know. But those words are, are resonating from what you're saying most. I actually call it um, nurture culture. Um, in my, uh, my blog, I, I write about it. And it's something that I refer to a lot. Um, in a, lot of, a lot of people refer to the sort of the trait that needs to emerge as the feminine trait. And I agree with that. And I, um, I own it as well as, as a woman. Uh, but I'm very careful about talking about it through the fact that there's a lot of uh, men who carry the trait just as, if not more powerfully than, than uh, females do, than women do. So when we talk about this trait, it isn't, you know, just belonging to one gender. It's gender fluid, let's say. But what it does mean is that the um, sort of traits that are traditionally female, such as, as, as being compassionate and collaborative and sharing, and working from the uh, sense, which I just touched on, working, working from instinct rather than from knowledge base. And these kind of traits, they don't just protect, which is something um, that we also have to do. We, also, we obviously have to protect, uh, which is the very masculine trait. We have to protect the planet. We have to protect each other. But we also have to nurture growth because um, this is a word that comes a lot up in in. Uh, in uh, is sustainability and we've discovered that sustainability is not enough sustainability is more of a protective thing protecting what we have what we need to do is nurture a more positive more thrivable future to emerge and that means that we we can't know what the boundaries are we can't know what the future lives brings we need to uh, embrace uncertainty and to feel more comfortable sitting with the unknown and when we can do that and we can, it's when, you know, we have children. When you, look at, when you look at your kids and you have this idea of what you want your child to grow up to be, if we try to shape our child up to be the vision of what we maybe expect, then we will very, very deeply damage that child in the process. And that's what we've been trying to do with the planet, you know. Uh, but if we sit back and look at our child and say, well, this is fascinating let's see what happens here what does this child need you know this child needs my love no matter what it needs so much just to 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 help it grow you know he or she but the child doesn't need to be sort of stuck into a mold and and told this is what I want you to look like and that's what we need to that's how we need to look at the future and we need to nurture each other nurture the planet you know uh the idea that um you know, one of the hugest things that has to change is how we grow food. So we need a, a absolutely huge, um, I call it the re 
evolution. So it's not a revolution; it's an evolution in in our in our agriculture and our in, in all every way we do business on the planet to think what the future will look like with the actions that we're doing. You know, how how will what I'm doing? So if it's your business, you need to nurture it in a holistic view viewpoint, not just to say how can I make more money from this, but while I'm doing this. Am I ensuring that the world is a better place to live in? Because I can make a hundred bucks off this today, but tomorrow, is there going to be a planet left to live on? And if I'm farming something and I pour a whole load of toxic chemicals here so that I can be sure that the pests won't get this particular plant, we get one one crop. But then what happens? You know, even oh, there's there's so many aspects. Okay, I'll leave it there. No, uh, again, your kaleidoscope for sort of oh, appears. Oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I just get so carried away. I'm so excited talking to you as well, Amy. You've just you're just such listening so beautifully and so patiently that I, you know, I feel inspired just to just flow without even sort of conscious emerging things, whatever. That's really important because you know I I normally sort of ask probing questions, but because you you're doing that yourself, that one thought's leading into another, and and it is I mean it's as beautiful to hear it really is, and you're tapping into yourself, just the ability to share. Yeah. If anybody listens and can make sense of it, uh, they can report back. <laughs> I'll be, oh, you know, no, it's it. There are so many incredible things going on in the world and there's so many things. I find it hard to, that's why I don't like to say, to, to reduce what, um, what I do or what I am in, into sort of one title because um, we, none of us should have to. I mean, you know, um, what, you know, when you're introduced, you're introduced as to what you do, what your career is, as if the thing that brings money in into your home is what is important. Why is money important? Whoever thought of that idea? It's fun. Yeah, no, it's funny. It reminds me of something that Anne Wilson said. Um, I, I heard her speak about this and she's called the the Welsh chef. Uh, but she talks, she would ask you to, instead of saying, what do you do? Say, what brings you joy in life? Yes. So, and, and I think that's really important to to ask people that question, because then you get their passion back at you, not their profession. And their passion is really what makes them and what what is people should be composed of instead of just their, as you said, a title. Exactly. And that's very much why all of my work, whatever it is I'm doing, the question I ask is, you know, what matters to you and, and whatever that is, go for it, you know. And why does it matter to you? So not what yeah. matters, but why does it matter? So take yeah. it that extra level again. I think, though, we have to be very careful um, when we're looking at that, is that when people answer that, or if people have difficulties answering that, which a lot of us do, let's face it, is to look at what the story is behind. You know, we cannot just step over the difficulties, you know, the trauma, as I said, of being a human in this day and age, and that's that's an average human, that's without having extra uh, things going on, to work through the grief uh, and the the pain. Um, this is these are painful times. Many people right now are suffering the, lo- the loss of loved ones. Uh, people are not able to see each other, uh, or people, or worse, maybe people are forced to, to be with people they don't want to, stuck in homes and whatever else, and that doesn't take away any of the more traumatic things that are going on around the world um, for individuals and and I think that we collectively become more aware of the the worldwide pain you know 
So transcending that really means looking at it, embracing it. That's something that you can find if anybody's interested in the work of Joanna Macy. One of her books, um, Active Hope, might be a good one to start with if anyone's interested. But I think it's important to, to recognize you can't just keep going without looking a little bit to the past and saying, I need to fix myself, I need to be healthy. Um, I, I, I uh, did a course in uh, rescue scuba diving uh, a few years ago. And one of the first things that they teach you is you cannot rescue somebody else if you're not fit enough to get in the water, if you haven't got the right equipment. And um, if somebody is actually trying to drown you, and that actually did happen to me, uh, incidentally, um, because they're having a panic attack or something, you can't let them do that. If necessary, you punch them, you get out of there, you make yourself fit, you keep yourself fit, and then, you, then you're capable of rescuing uh, somebody else. And the same, it's the same thing with the oxygen mask, isn't it, on the aeroplanes? Mm -hmm. You have to put it on your head first before your, your child, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to go through a, a simultaneous, and it has to be a sped up process, um, a simultaneous process of healing as an individual, expanding our hearts outwards to become uh, more aware of the people around us, having more empathy and uh, becoming a part of the community, part of the collective conscious, and then working forward or rather simultaneously forward towards um, a future that we actually really would like to, to, to live in. And the best thing to do with that is just to close your eyes and dream about it. What would you like the future to look like? And take away all those, don't make it look like, a, I don't know, some kind of James Bond movie or something. Take, it, take away all of the, the preconceived uh, brainwashing ideas of what the future should look like. Do you really want there to be a yacht in it? Yeah, maybe there can be a couple of weeks on the Mediterranean. Let's not say no to that. But do, do you know, all the paraphernalia that is supposed to come with a, with a well-lived life is, is, you know, the, the famous things that, pe that people say about people on their deathbeds is that they always talk about the same thing, is I wish I spent less time at work and more time with my kids or my loved ones or whatever. The one thing, the most important thing in our lives is connection. It's the one thing that triggers us all, you know, um, meaningful connection. And, you know, and that cannot, that doesn't necessarily even have to be with humans. It can be with the planet because I've sat in a field and felt so connected to the earth. It's been absolutely, it's, been so joyful it's brought me a sort of sense of ecstasy um which i think many most people have in one way or another even if it wasn't since you were children we've all experienced so prompting that connection uh, again one way or another i think has to be the priority as we move forward and i think bringing it right back to where we started this whole conversation where you talked about the circle work and the cooking up of dialogue i think that that's tapping into our ancestors is something you mentioned and you, you're feeling that pull that you're being told something by them to sort of hold on what are you doing look at what's happening around you uh, that's it's a perfect place to sort of bring that circle right back again to to, to the end of this conversation but actually it's just going to be the start of a, of a new conversation for the audience and you've you've asked so many questions I don't think they've they've had time to write them all down but they even if <laughs> they just challenge or no even if they just challenge one or two of them and just think about you know what it is they're doing and why they're doing it but that's that's the whole premise of this podcast is is focusing on why and it that was why it was so important for you you to come on and, and share your why today thank you very much
It's uh, it's it's a really a pleasure to talk with you and to let my sort of spaghetti thoughts sort of <laughs> merge around. One thing that I'd like to end with is that we, you know, we're under the sort of we have the idea that as humans that we're quite different that we've invented things you know that are spectacular let's say the internet and I, I find it absolutely is spectacular the fact that you and I are having this conversation I'm in Istanbul um, you're in the UK and this can be heard by people around the world it is absolutely amazing but what is more amazing about it is that apparently the way the network works is almost an exact replica or in fact it is a replica to how natural uh, networks and webs uh, work whether it be the roots of trees or whether it be the mycelium under the ground uh, or the cosmos whatever all these kind of uh, natural and universe uh, universal uh, patterns are what are emerging in us and I think what's happened for me in the last few months is that although I have been working very hard on, on making a community uh, more powerful and more the forefront of, of what I do, I also have to admit that I'm a very private person. I like to spend most of my time by myself. So I actually had an internal battle, and I think we all have that. Uh, but recently, uh, I've really felt the sense, I think through hosting Circle regularly, uh, the sense of my, uh, through this web, through this network, through these connections, um, I felt my roots merging. This has given me a beautiful sensation of connection that we're not just standing here as individuals. We really are a part of a forest. And just like in a, in a forest, we are, you know, dependent on each other. Uh, we've only just recently realized, which goes to show how dim we are as a species. Uh, indigenous people have known it all along but uh, most of us uh, are only just realizing that oh trees communicate oh they sustain each other even cross species oh apparently they send messages through chemicals in the air and through they use the mycelium as well under the ground they use the fungi and they they do all these incredible things and they they are actually sustaining each other oh and then there's another thing um, when I when we talked about this in a in a circle, one of the women I was particularly depressed at the time, and she said, uh, well, I, I think I feel more like a dead branch than, than actually a thriving tree in the forest. And I said, well, you know what? With the, with the dead tree, now I, I can't remember how many it is, but there may be four times or ten times more living species in a dead tree than there are in a living tree in the forest. So even as, as the rotting material of a dead branch and as humans, when we when we eventually meet with with the soil, we are contributing to the circle of life, and this is so spectacular. Um, and just having the sense of both empowerment from how important this is, but also humility. We are everything, we are nothing. So we might as well just do the best that we can, make the most of it while we're here. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.